today's topic, we are super excited to have Chris Belly, the CEO of Studio Science, uh, joining us on IML today. Chris and his team service B two C companies, B two C businesses, uh, which that gives him a unique perspective on the importance of you know understanding um, the customer, cultivating strong experiences, and leveraging brand to really work for you, um, which is perfect because today we want to talk about brand and how to do just that, how to leverage it. Um, so Chris, if you don't mind like waving, saying hello, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, a couple of corrections. A couple oh, okay. I've got a promotion in this uh, introduction. I'm not the CEO as oh. I wish I was. Uh, I'm the VP of marketing and sales. So. You know what? I had that in the email that I just wrote this morning. And uh, yeah, sorry, Chris. Uh, so don't apologize to me. It's just Jen, <laughs> Jen Griffin, my marketing manager, actually snuck her way into here. So if I didn't correct it, um, she, she'd let me certainly know about it. Um, and then just a very quick one. Studio Science works with uh, B2C, B2B, B2B2B, B2B2C B2B2C companies. So we kind of... Um, we work across a broad spectrum, so I just thought I'd I'd touch that up and 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 not give myself too much of a promotion too early on in the piece. Well, that's good, um, and uh, we've got the whole alphabet, so uh, <laughs> that's great. Lots of perspective to share here. Um, so I, I think that's kind of interesting, though, because you know, Gorilla Seventy Six and the folks on this call, we're really focused on the industrial manufacturing space, and so. Some folks might be thinking like, okay, well, like how did Chris come into the, the picture here? And I asked Mary that. Um, so Mary, like how did you even meet Chris in the first place? Yeah, so I met Chris um, through LinkedIn. So he commented on one of my posts and he um, DM'd me and he was just like, hey, love your um, post about marketing results taking time. I was just having the same conversation with my CFO. And then he was like, hey, like not to sound dumb, but what's industrial marketing? <laughs> And I was like, oh, not a dumb question at all. It's just a term we basically coined to like call out the uniqueness of industrial compared to other marketing sectors. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. He looked up um, industrial marketing live and he was like, hey, I think there's like a few things I could talk to your folks about on industrial marketing live. And I was like, oh man, that would be awesome. Yeah, let's like do a prep call or something. And his exact words were, damn, wasn't expecting a positive res response. That sounds great. <laughs> so we had a call for about 15 or 20 minutes just talking about client life, agency life, marketing life. And I was like, all right, this guy's gold. Like, let's do it. Let's have Chris on. So here we are today. Well, awesome. Well, what I've done is I've, I've got a, a, it's a presentation, but it's intended to be fluid. So if you've got questions, I don't know if there's a moderator, raise your hand, jump in, all that type of fun stuff. Let me Go ahead and tee up um, my screen here, full screen mode. So, you know, as I was talking to Mary, Mary's right, industrial marketing, like what is industrial? Like it, to me, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't doesn't change anything. It's all marketing. And whether it's B2C or B2B, I get, I get asked this question often, you know, is the line blurring between B2B marketing or B2C marketing? For me, it's... It's all um, it's all the same. It's all the same thing. So I feel as though, you know, in the tee up and in the conversation I had with Mary, I feel as though I'm speaking to a lot of marketers that are my people, you know, the, the, the type of people that I can truly associate with, you know, marketers who perhaps find themselves within organisations where marketing is perhaps a little undervalued 
um, or perhaps a little bit um, misunderstood. And so what I hope to achieve and, you know, what, you know, in conversation with Mary, what I hope to provide today is, you know, throughout the presentation, just little snippets or little nuggets of wisdom that allow you to go back to your own organisation that gives you some, maybe not necessarily credibility, but that help you challenge kind of the status quo as to as to what's happening within your organisation and kind of helping to make some of the, the, the leaders in your businesses think a little bit different. Um, yeah, thank you for the introduction, Peyton. The um, I am Chris Bailey. I run all of the sales here, or sales and marketing here at Studio Science. We're a design and innovation agency. Um, don't let the accent fool you, based out of Indianapolis. Um, I want to firstly thank you for being here. You could be anywhere right now. It's lunchtime. You could be out having lunch. You could be spending time with a significant other going for a walk in the nice weather, but you've chosen to be here, and I appreciate that. So I want to, I want to thank you for that. So over the next 20 minutes, I'm going to I'm going to speak to you through you know a couple of topics on customer experience and things like that. And I'm going to allow some time at the end for questions, but certainly feel free to jump in throughout. Um, some of what I say over the next 20 minutes will resonate with you and other things um, are certainly going to irritate you. And that's that's intentional because I like to kind of push the status quo a little bit. Some of the things that I say may seemingly seem to be so common sense. But why is it then that when you take these things back to within your own organisation, common sense, unfortunately, isn't very common? Now, you know, one of the titles that I that I run around with here is, you know, why your customer experience sucks. Um, and it might be pretty bold of me to suggest that I know why your customer experience sucks. But let me ask you a series of questions. And the first question is, does your brand truly resonate with your ideal customer profile? Does your website seamlessly guide users through a journey or conversion points that is meaningful for your business? Does every employee that you have at your company understand and, ar and articulate what it is for, that you do? Does your digital product work? Do you have a mobile app? Should you have a mobile app? Why don't you have a mobile app? So all of these things are what I what I refer to as the customer experience. And I can say with a great level of confidence that everybody on this call is experiencing a pain point around at least one of those things that I asked. So when you think about the total experience around the customer experience, no matter whether your own backyard is in order, and that is marketing or finance or operations or whatever it is, your customer experience is, is more than that one area. I'm going to introduce you to a topic that you may or may not be familiar with, and that is that is service design. Um, if you're not thinking about service design as a marketer, it is critically important for you to start thinking about it right now. So service design is the total experience. It's the craft of tying together the human, the digital, and the physical experiences to truly create a differentiated experience from what your competition is doing. So in simple terms, the human is the brand and how people experience your brand. The digital is um, obviously your website, your digital product or your mobile ap application. And the physical is the interactions that you have with your customers, either in person, by phone or via email. And so today more than ever, customers expect that their needs and desires are met instantly and consistently across all channels, anywhere and at any time. And businesses who truly understand that can gain a competitive advantage by delivering amazing customer experiences. Now, if you work in an industry 
um, that is perhaps a little antiquated and the people within that industry are accustomed to things like slow turnaround times, delays, poor customer service and things like that. That's fine in the business setting perhaps. But when you consider that those people are are experiencing exceptional customer service in their day-to-day lives through um, services provided by Amazon or Apple or streaming services, it's only a matter of time before they start to have a far greater expectation of what you're delivering nine to five, Monday to Friday. So I've, I've told you kind of what is service design. Let me give you a good example of what I believe to be a company that's executing this exceptionally well, and that is Southwest Airlines. So we talk about the human and that is the brand. Now, I first came across Southwest back in business school in Australia um, over 15 years ago, where their brand was often cited in case studies. So when Southwest Airlines first come to mind, you think of the iconic blue, yellow, and red aircraft and catchy, satiric slogans. When you think about the digital product of Southwest, if you've not used the Southwest mobile app, it is the easiest mobile app you could ever want to to work with. Um, I I don't like to tell this story. I won't tell it anyway. I, I changed flights the other day whilst driving in my car. One end on the wheel, one end on the mobile app. That's how good this app is, right? In stark contrast, when I tried to change my flight with American Airlines on their mobile app, they gave me a 1-800 number to call. That is a bad experience. And then the and then the um, the physical. We can all agree that Southwest have a very differentiated in-person experience. This whole lining up like school children and identifying what number you are in, in which to board the plane is different. They're the only airline, to my knowledge, that do it. If you don't like it, pay more expensive airfares and go fly somewhere else. But this is what they do. Not only is the physical experience lining up differentiated, but their customer service is also differentiated as well. The way that you interact with hostesses and desk clerks and pilots and things like that, everybody at Southwest seems to love working for Southwest and it's consistent. And I only understood why it's consistent Uh, when I was researching Southwest, they almost exclusively fly Boeing 737s. And I'd never actually noticed that. Every aircraft is the same, uh, is the same format, three aisle three. And that allows them to actually be more efficient in creating a a far better um, in-person experience. So you may look at Southwest Airlines and you say to yourself, well, I'm in industrial marketing. How is this possible, possibly applicable to me, and you see none of it relates to me, Southwest Airlines are a huge organisation, but I would argue differently. I would say that at a smaller organisation, you have a far greater opportunity to influence the entire customer experience holistically because there are far less already established bad practices in place. So as an example of a smaller company, there's a company in Boston called Drift. Um, If you know who Drift are, you know who Drift are. It's not important that we deep dive on them, but they describe themselves as a revenue acceleration platform that uses conversational marketing and conversational sales to help companies grow revenue. In simple terms, Drift is a chatbot. There's there's no other way to describe Drift other than being a chatbot, like every other chatbot on the market. The difference with Drift is this. They've never relied on their product to be the differentiator between themselves and their competition. They have a great brand, 
a brand that makes you want to associate with them. When you're choosing a chatbot, you wouldn't choose any other chatbot other than Drift because they're Drift. When it comes to their employee experience and the in-person experience, they're all telling the same story. What's most impressed me about Drift is their people love to work there. They're well-trained and they're all bought into the narrative. And when it comes to their product, as far as chatbots goes, yeah, it's a great product. It does everything that they it does everything that it sets out to do. So whether or not they knew that they were practicing service design when they started this company is anyone's guess. But as I said earlier, that they, they never hoped to rely on the features of their product to be the differentiator from their competition. They worked hard at the brand experience, the digital experience, and the employee experience, and now they're a leader in this space. So alignment around the entire experience is always being considered, not just in the area of your own unique responsibility. Is there any questions so far? I feel I can't see hands up or anything like that, but if anybody's got any questions, please feel free to jump in. Yeah, I got a question, Chris. Um, how, how do you know when you are not re- like your brand's not resonating with your target audience or you're kind of missing the boat on some of these things? Yeah, and it's a great question. Um, and I will get into it in a little bit, but human-centered insights, and the reason why I don't think that there's a blurred line between B2B and B2C anymore, because it's human-centered insights that start to give you the perspectives and understanding of what your customers want. So if we experienced this a couple of years ago at Studio Science, I don't like to admit it, when you start to research with your customers, what is it that Studio Science does? The responses that come back are, are wild, right? Some people thought we were a website development shop. Some people thought we just built websites themselves, whereas we do so many more things. And that was a clear indication to us that our go-to-market messaging wasn't resonating with the ideal customer profile. We weren't attracting the right people because either the perception that was out there or what we were pushing into the market was wrong. So. All that to be said, customer research is critical to understanding um, whether your brand is actually is truly resonating with the right people. Okay, so these three circles were, um, you know, were previously um, aligned, you could say, or, or set up as a Venn diagram. So I've shown you the example of Southwest Airlines, and I've, and I've, sh- I've talked through the example of um, the company called Drift. Now, let me give you an example um, of what I believe is bad service design described to me by one of my clients, an example that I hear over and over again. So I met with a prospective client back in July. He's the CMO of a software company, uh, but one of the few marketers that I've I've spoken with who is thinking about um, the experience holistically and not just in his um, immediate area of responsibility. The brand that he represented was solid, as much of you are probably representing brands that are solid. It needed positioning and messaging and some tweaks there, but it'll be it'll be a good brand. The company's product was good, although not visually aligned. We'll just need some tweaks to get it you know, aligned to the brand. But as he described it, the mobile app experience just plain sucks. It sucks so bad that we lose deals through the prospecting phase when they see the mobile app, or it upsets clients after they've already signed on and they try to use the product. So his ask to me was this, right? 
If your agency can tactically execute the human, the physical, and the digital experiences, could we spin up a project? And my answer is always, of course. But here's the problem. This CMO doesn't have budget responsibility for the product or the mobile app or the in-person experience. He only has budget responsibility for more traditional marketing um, roles. So their company, even though he's thinking holistically, their company is still thinking in silos. So they know what's right to do and what they should be doing in order to achieve the total desired experience. But when they only have budget responsibility for specific areas, they can't make those incremental improvements simultaneously. So when I say that no one has responsibility for holistically thinking about the total experience, it ties back to the title of the session of like why your customer experience probably sucks. Because I can say with a great level of confidence here that everybody joining this call may have responsibility for one area, but few have responsibility across all areas. Now, to tie it potentially back into your own industry and not a software company that has all these um, bells and whistles, but how many times do you set the salespeople up for success with messaging a great corporate deck and they go and run off and do their own thing anyway? Well, how many times do sales come back in and promise something that um, promise something that the uh, that the delivery team you know possibly can't deliver? Or the worst one is when someone calls a customer care line and your employees don't know how to articulate what it is that's happening, or they just simply experience a bad customer service. Yeah, Chris, this this kind of comes back, I think, Beth, to your question that you put in the chat, because um, you were asking about how to like pull other employees in. Do you want to ask your question? Because I feel like this relates. Yeah, sure. So you were talking about the importance of having your employees building that narrative. And I just was wondering if you had any recommendations of how to go about doing that specifically with, say, employees that who don't interface with customers on a daily basis, like machinists, engineers, that kind of stuff? This question was asked to me about three weeks ago when I was in Cleveland and, and delivered this, I guess, very same presentation. And it stumped me then and it kind of continues to stump me. It shouldn't, but it does. The, what I say to that is this. It's kind of it's the next question that I'm trying to tackle. Who owns service design? Who owns the total experience? Because when we, you know, when digital transformation was the massive buzzword a few years ago, digital transformation has to be owned by the C-suite. And so I hate to say it, but there's got to be a level of um, political showmanship that goes on within your organisation, whereas you promote yourself as potentially the subject matter expert to highlight the importance of alignment across all areas. Um, as far as when it comes down to machinists and people that um, don't have a, um, and I'm kicking myself now because I took it out of this presentation, we talk about the employee experience as the fourth kind of pillar of service design. And the employee experience is effectively the training, um, the training of everybody within the entire organisation that, uh, that, can, that can contribute to the total experience. But again, You've got to be the internal champion for service design. You've got to be the internal champion for 
um, for creating true change across the total experience. And you almost have to support that with, with data. I don't know if that's helpful. It came out from my mouth okay, but as I'm listening to it, it, <laughs> sounded, it sounded just fair. I'll give it a five out of ten, but maybe circle back with me on LinkedIn or something, and I'll do I'll do a better job of it. Chris, Mary, to me, like it sounds like um, when you think about marketing, right? It sounds a lot like positioning, right? Where a lot of times it's like, oh, positioning is a marketing thing, but in real, it's a business strategy thing, right? And so to me, this kind of falls in on that, right? Like where a marketing person might say, this is something we need to change, but I know I don't have the authority to make this change, and somebody upstairs does, right? So like, but it, you have to like. Go, go at them with data from customer research and say, we are missing the boat here, here, and here, and we lost opportunities here, here, and here. Um, and this tie, all ties back into the same thing at the top where we're just missing it on a strategy piece. Yeah, so Brendan, you should be my um, translator because I think that's what I, that's what I was trying to say. But the, the, the other thing, and I, I was actually, it's, I've written it down to go, go into soon. Yes, you have to have things that resonate with the C-suite to ensure that they're bought into it. And one of those things is, your brand strategy is your business strategy. Your brand strategy accounts for ideal customer profile, trajectory of where the business is headed, how to go to market to achieve those incremental steps for business growth. And if then there also comes, comes a point, uh, Beth, I think it was that asked that question. If you don't have that internal alignment or you feel as though you're beating your head against the wall daily trying to get these critical messages through, sometimes you've just got to move on and find organisations that start to value that. All right, I'll keep going. Um, so I've given you the background on the importance of service design and creating differentiated customer experiences. We'll dig in a little bit as to um, what are some things that will help you fix yours. So you know, what goes into creating a great customer experience? So for many organizations, here are the things that goes into that go into creating a great customer experience. Research, brand, website, and digital product. Employee experience, I'll touch on briefly, or I have touched on briefly, but um, I won't go into in this presentation. It's designed as a DNA chain, and that's intentional because it's the core of your company's experience which is the foundation in which your company is going to find success. So with research, so there, there are some things that, re that should resonate with you that I've put into this presentation because they resonated with me as a marketer. So if there's few takeaways that you get out of this presentation, here is one of them. Stop being so competitor obsessed and start being more customer obsessed. Right? So human-centered insights have alluded to this, B2B or B2C, provide you with clearly identified opportunities for differentiation. And research and the analysis of the, those research findings um, should be the foundation in which every decision that your company makes. So research in the form of service blueprints, customer journey maps, understanding of your external stakeholders. And when I say external stakeholders, I'm referring to your existing, your prospective, and your lapsed customers. Because th those groups there will uncover insights for you about your brand, product, or service that you couldn't possibly figure out sitting around a boardroom with your marketing team. And then armed with that research, you can then start to identify the opportunities for the differentiation. So with the brand, have you clearly established an articulated value message that immediately resonates with your buyers or something that they understand? What is the positioning and messaging of your value props that sets you apart? Are you visually differentiated? Does your brand stand for something? All of these things 
um, I see a lot in the technology space, everybody starts to look the same. Everybody starts to sound the same because the first thing that they do when they're doing these exercises, they look at what the competition is doing without listening to what their customers are telling them that they should be doing. As I said, Brennan, and and you, you teed me up for this one, if you're having a tough time selling brand strategy to senior executives, drop the line, your brand strategy is your business strategy. And that's something that starts to resonate with people when they truly start to think about it. Um, you know, talking about these nuggets of wisdom that resonate um, with you, here's the second one. People don't have a short attention span. They have a short consideration span. Right? So when I refer to attention span, if you can watch, if you can watch a show on Netflix, five episodes back to back in the evening and stay up until midnight on a, on a school night, then I'd say your attention span is actually pretty good. When I say consideration span, that is when you go to a website and you can't immediately understand what value that company is providing to you, you jump off. You have a short consideration span, not a short attention span. So as your website is your most public-facing brand asset and it's your most visible and always available salesperson, right, it can't just be a static um, flyer for your business. It has to do so much more than that. It has to guide um, prospective buyers through a journey that arrive at a conversion point, call it a, a CTA or or download something. But you can't allow them the opportunity just to bounce off. Um, so a great website experience accounts for consideration span, the ability to articulate your value, guides a user seamlessly through a journey and arrives at a call to action. Um, and your digital product. And I, I referred to this a little earlier before when I was talking about Amazon. There's a comedian called Ronnie Chang. He's a Singaporean comedian that I believe is on a few late night shows over here. And he does this skit on Amazon Prime being too slow, right? Next day delivery, too slow. He wants Amazon Prime to be bigger, stronger, harder, faster, right? So he comes up with this. He comes up with this uh, concept called Amazon Now, right, where you hit the button to purchase, you put your hand behind you, and someone drops the product immediately into your hand, right? Amazon Now, right? But much like what I said about attention span and consideration span, in this day and age, with all of these other great experiences going on around you, Nobody nobody has the time to tolerate a poor experience. Nobody has time to wait 48 hours for a return phone call. Nobody has time to go onto a website to not like to be so frustrated with the website experience that they can't get to the to the result that they wanted to do. So if you know if a mobile application or a website or a portal is a basic function of you doing business and providing an experience for people, you best invest in its, its, its ability to exceed the customer expectations. I'm going to bounce past the employee experience. So I'm going to, we'll, we'll finish on the takeaways, right? So remember at the start of the session, I kind of referred to common sense is, isn't very common. And you're probably going to look at these takeaways as well and say to yourself, well, of course, all this stuff is, is common sense. But if it is so common sense, why are there people within your own businesses that aren't doing it? Like, why aren't these things an absolute priority? So the takeaways, understand your customers and your buyers. I can't stress to you enough what external stakeholder research will do for your company 
as it uncovers insights that will enable you to create differentiated experiences between yourselves and your competition. Armed with those, armed with that knowledge, start designing for people. And when I say design, I don't mean like crayons on white paper. I don't mean design as in graphic designers or creative designers. I mean design with a capital D, like design, build, imagine, create for the very people that are your customers. Like stop allowing yourselves to design from the boardroom without the consideration of other people because that's when you're truly going to start to get to the heart of the people that are your ideal customer profile. And then I think to Beth's point earlier, this is the hardest one, align internal teams to deliver better experiences. Start the conversation around what is the greater good of the total experience and start to start to encourage your organisation to think more broadly and holistically about those pillars and they are you know, the human, the physical and the digital experience and how they all align together. Because whether it's in technology or whether it's in um, manufacturing or whether it's in finance, the total experience is the thing that truly differentiates you. And if you're not considering all areas of that, um, then you're going to have a challenge in in progressing your business forward. Um, As I do with anything or any presentation that I do, I open it up to questions, comments, smart remarks. Smart remarks backfires on me every so often, um, but I'll stop sharing screen. Um, The last, I might get ahead of it. The last time I called for smart remarks, someone asked me to say, throw another shrimp on the barbie. I won't do it, Um, but there it is. I threw it out there. You got it recorded now. (laughs) you, you know, uh, Kristen uh, Fornell, you've got your your camera off today, but if if you wanted to unmute, uh, I think you had a really a really great insight um, and just some experience that you shared in the chat um, up here. I'm just going to scroll up to it. Um, you said we've paid employees quarterly on client satisfaction and annually we dedicated a week. And uh, annually, we dedicated uh, a week to internal and external client satisfaction, where we reached out to clients and wrote notes to them from everyone. Our CEO touched base with two clients a week, uh, year-round. We measured this using surveys. The key is leadership supporting the thinking. We won business on our client satisfaction. You know, one of the comments that um, I heard from, I read somewhere, doesn't matter where I heard it really, but if your CEO is is not thinking of marketing at the forefront, then um, see is no not thinking of marketing at the forefront. You know, basically, don't work for them or something like that. That's <laughs> the only way you're going to progress forward. And that, I mean, that as I read it in the chat there, that's exactly what you have to do. And if you can't get the support, and I said it again, I'll refer back to Beth, but. It's just not worth working for an organization that doesn't value this type of thing. We had another question from Jared Beasley, and then I see Bruce Teeling, you've got your hand um, hand up too. Um, Jared Beasley, do you want to ask your question or I've got it written down here if you're, see if I can see. Yeah, I, I can ask. Um, my question is about uh, whenever you have multiple audiences uh, that very really differ from each other, like what would you suggest as far as trying to come up with a, I don't know, as wholesome of a plan um, 
whenever you do have varying audiences is like, for instance, like my company's a distributor uh, and we're across multiple verticals that we're targeting very different types of, of people versus contractors versus high-end engineers and aerospace. So just very different um, segments that we we're trying to get in front of. Yeah. So Studio Science works with high growth technology companies and Fortune 50 to Fortune 500 companies. So we also have you know, very distinct groups that we sell to. We talk about an overarching brand value proposition. What is it that you do so well or better than your competition? That is the overarching message that you can sell. Then you have secondary and tertiary messages. So the secondary message might be then related to the specific vertical. And then the tertiary message might be related to a specific product or something like that. But that top line one, it's a challenge. And it's it's when we're doing research for a client that comes to us and says, we have five distinct buyer types or five distinct ideal customer profiles, that just increased the scope of the project by five because you have to consider the um, existing perspective and lapsed customers for each of those areas. Um, it's a difficult one for people to understand, but some of the difficulty in research is anybody can do the research. It's in your ability to synthesize that research and turn it into something actionable that separates kind of the men from the boys a little bit. Um, and so getting to that unique overarching value proposition um, is critical to that. And it's difficult. A lot of this stuff isn't easy. Yeah, I saw Brendan's head nodding whenever uh, you were saying that, you know, you expand the audience to, you know, you include a different audience and then you expand the scope of the work and how much effort it takes to put into that. Um, so focus, focus, focus is important. You know, start somewhere and then scale up uh, is kind of what we say across all, all of our marketing efforts. Bruce. Would you like to unmute and? Sure. Thanks, Peyton. Hey, Chris. Uh, great presentation. I can identify 110% with the CEO not being a marketing person. I work for an Italian company, so you can uh, relate to me on dealing with European mindset sometimes. But you know, I've been pounding it them to you know at least get going. We got to start moving forward. Because they do make good products, good engineers, design, fabrication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we're kind of the, the, the slow team to, to, uh, to market the company. Uh, we're in a sort of uh, cookie cutter industry, i.e. Uh, the big scope is around the packaging machinery business. And if you had a machine to fill a bottle, well, you know, there's only so many ways you can fill a bottle. So, you know, what is your differentiator? And I've been trying to hammer that into these guys once and for all, but I feel your pain. I'm glad that IML does these things because it's a great venue for all of us. And Chris, I already hit you up on LinkedIn. All right, I'll see you later. Bye. So fun fact for Bruce, um, I'm actually an Italian citizen. So I was born in Australia to Italian immigrant parents. So I can empathize with Bruce's hierarchy at his business. We have an expression in Italy, as I say in Italy, from Australia to America, called testa dura, right? Testa dura means hard head, right? You're never going to be able to get it through to these people. But the same expression um, is, um, is true across all companies that are product-led, like 
it's why it's why companies outgrow their founders and CEOs because they're so fixated on how good their product is. They truly believe that their product is better than the next person's product. When at the end of the day, they're all the same. Honestly, they're all the same. The only differentiator that you have between two organizations is the experience that you're going to provide for the buyer. Studio Science is a design agency, right? We'll design corporate logos and things like that. Are there other agencies that do it as well, if not better than us? Yes, 100%. I can admit that. I don't think my products, any. it's good. I shouldn't say that. It's very good, right? But I don't necessarily believe it's better than anybody else's. What I truly believe is that in a 24-week engagement with my team, right, you're going to end up with a very good product, the same as when you're going to end up with a very good product with somewhere else. But what is the experience going to be like over those 24 weeks? The true differentiator at Studio Science is the people that do the work and the experience that you have along the way. Do you want to end up with a good product and have 24 weeks of misery? Or do you want to work with a team that you can actually get in, get into a, a boardroom with, roll up your sleeves and collaboratively, collaboratively oh my God, I can't even talk. Um, that's that Italian, Australian, American thing. I can't spit words out. Collaborate, I can't even say it anymore. Work together to go to the common goal. I dare, I, uh, Bruce, I dare you to, dare to call someone testadura. Like that's, you're pissing people off. Bruce might not have a job next week. <laughs> so, Chris, how do we, like, how do we start this, right? Like a lot of us are on either solo marketing teams or on a really small marketing team and maybe do, don't have a lot of authority with the founders or the owners or the presidents, but where can we start and like, what are the, like the next steps after that to get something like this off the ground? Yeah, so incremental changes, I think, are key. When you're trying to, when you're trying to um, collect support for what it is that you're doing, incremental changes are best. If nobody is speaking to customers, or if you haven't done that and you're a marketing team of one, set aside some time to at least speak to a couple of customers. I'm in an advantageous position that that I'm responsible for probably 40 to 60% of all the sales as well here, right? Because I started on the on the sales side and acquired the marketing along the way. So I'm actively speaking to the clients anyway. So I can I can, you know, Jen, who's on this call, who's my marketing manager, what did they say? So she doesn't even have to do the research because I'm kind of doing it through natural conversation. Have those conversations and start to make the tweaks or start to present, you know, differentiated messaging. Start to look for, you know, you don't need to do a full website redesign. Like come, guys come to me all the time and say, we need a new website. Why? Our website doesn't say anything. That's not a new website problem. That's a messaging problem. Like you don't need to, your website actually is aesthetically quite pleasing. Could use some improvements, but spend your time changing those seven words mm. on the home page that account for that consideration span that I, that I referred to earlier. Okay, that's good. So initially throughout the presentation, I was hearing like design and creating a system and like, so like trying to lay everything out at once, but hearing like incrementally, right? Like continually talking to customers and asking where those pain points are and just minor tweaks to pain points as they go along to make things, but you know, but like I'm assuming Southwest didn't start with where they're at today. Right. 
Iteration is all part of the process. Even if your brand is really good right now, iteration and continuing to talk. Your brand or your website can't be a static snapshot in time. Mm -hmm. Your customers are changing. The industry is changing. The technology is changing. The customer is changing. Your brand and your website need to to be like a living and breathing organism that adapts just as quickly as the the market influences are um, pushing down on you. Mm, that's good stuff. If this was easy, everybody would be doing yeah. it, right? We, Jen and I, again, on Jen, I'm kind of pissed off that you're on this call because I keep referring back to you. But Jen and I just this morning um, spoke about changing the positioning and the messaging on our own website. That's long overdue, mm-hmm. and then by the time we get that done, we're going to want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Kelly. Your website is your top salesperson. And your most visible and twenty-four hour seven salesperson as well. If, if you know, I'll, we've got a we've got a system set up on our website that when someone fills out when someone fills out the form on the website, I receive a text message notification immediately. It allows me to respond within five minutes. And that's I don't have to do that, but I know my competitors aren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning when I'm in the office, I overnight express them from FedEx. Um, some sales collateral. So I believe I'm over the first few hurdles as people are just getting out of the starting block. And that's my contribution to the total experience. I don't pick up a pen. I don't design a logo. I don't even know how to use a computer half the time to to get the designs out there. But I can expedite the sales process by influencing the experience on first touch. All right. Well, uh, oh, yes, uh, Jimmy, you just posted. I, I was about to ask uh, for book recommendations if you've read anything about customer experience. I, I know there's a few books out there, um, a few that Gorilla likes. Um, but uh, Chris, do you have any books that you like? Jimmy just said they ask you answer, um, which we read at Gorilla. It's like textbook for us. I'll I'll, I'll look forward to reading that. The, the two books that... Um... I kind of live and die by. Um, one is called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, that's from a sales perspective, but the market, the foundation of the marketing side of it um, allows the tipping point to take effect, right? So I'll leave it at that. The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. And the other one is Robert Cialdini's book, which is called, I think it's just called Influence. And it talks about the, the six principles of influence. And, you know, whenever we're redesigning our website or looking at our website or looking at sales collateral, I'm trying to include some of those um, some of those key points of influence throughout the website homepage or on our sales collateral or even in our talk tracks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Industrial Marketing Live today. Uh, thank you everyone for your questions. And if there are others that come to mind, uh, you're welcome to ask them in the Slack community. If you'd like to be in the Industrial Marketing Live Slack community, just uh, put a little thumbs up in the chat um, or uh, send me, Brendan, Mary, Aaron, anyone at Gorilla a message and we'll get you added to the Slack group. Um, we have only three IMLs left for this year. I can't believe it's already uh, October. <laughs> it's just insane. Uh, and then the holidays coming up. So um, our next IML session is going to be on, I believe, the 27th. Don't quote me. It's a thir- it's a Thursday, I think. Um, 
And we're going to be bringing uh, one of the OG IMLers back, um, Matthew Chanella, um, who just recently moved over into the software uh, space and uh, to kind of talk a little bit more about what we can learn from the other side, the dark side of, of marketing. But uh, yeah, thank you everyone for joining and I hope you have a great rest of your Tuesday and we'll uh, catch up with you soon. Bye.